Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Star Trek books. They've been around for decades. Join us, the Trek ladies, Kavora and Jen, as we discuss the novels one at a time. Welcome to the Ladies Trek Library. Hello, so we are back with Ladies Trek Library, and this is Kavora, and I'm here with Jen. Hello, Jen. Hi, Kavora. Great to be back. Yes, and so this time our book is Doctor's Orders by Diane Duane, one of my favorite writers. Okay, Jen, do you want to read us uh, the summary of this book? Sure. So the uh, back of the book is, When Dr. McCoy grumbles once too often about the way the Enterprise ought to be run, Captain Kirk decides to leave the doctor in command while he oversees a routine diplomatic mission. Kirk beams down to a strange planet nicknamed Flyspeck to negotiate its admission into the Federation, leaving Dr. McCoy to enjoy his new authority. However, the doctor soon learns that command is a double-edged sword when Kirk disappears without a trace. Desperately trying to locate his captain, McCoy comes under pressure from Starfleet to resolve the situation immediately. Matters go from bad to worse when the Klingons arrive and stake their own claim on Flyspeck. Then another more deadly power threatens them all, and suddenly, Dr. McCoy and the Enterprise find themselves pitted against an alien fleet in a battle they have no hope of winning. Okay, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, because when I um, when I started reading the book, I didn't realize it was going to have Klingons. <laughs> I didn't either. I just thought I there's no you know the cover is just Spock and McCoy and the Enterprise, so no hint of Klingons in that. So it was called Doctor's Orders, and so when when McCoy was put in command, so so um, how was his command style? Well. So McCoy is reluctantly put into command, and at first he's a, a very reluctant commander. He uh, he doesn't want to be there. He'd rather be back in sickbay uh, doing his job. Um, but he he actually learned a bit from Kirk, and he read some of the uh, command, I guess, manuals that Kirk had left him. Um, and, you know, he takes his job seriously, and he, he turns out that to be that he is a pretty good leader, even if he doesn't want to be. Right. Now, I think they said that he, he did have some command training. He's just not, he's not on the command track, but he was, he was qualified enough that, that Kirk uh, could leave him in command. And, and, you know, and of course Kirk didn't know that all of this would happen, you know, that he would disappear and all this other stuff. But Yeah, um, for sure. I would just say the only, uh, it's very clear throughout, though, that uh, that McCoy doesn't want to be com- in command because he's very nervous about the whole thing. Right. And um, so, so the Klingons show up, and, and I thought it was really neat that, I mean, he did handle the Klingons pretty well. I thought it was neat how he was he was acting so polite to them. It was sort of like, like I could hear him talking in my mind. It was like all this southern charm. Well, well, sure, you can beam down to the planet, and if you need any help from us, don't hesitate to ask. It was hilarious, but it, it was great, and it, and it worked for the Klingons. They were like, you know, they were surprised. Uh, oh, I mean, you're not going to give us a fight about this? 
Yeah, I, it was interesting too. Um, you know, he when he kind of realized he's not going to be able to rely on his tactical knowledge the way Kirk would, you know, because he's not as experienced in, in dealing with those situations. He um, he uh, sort of results to uh, resorts to uh, playing like he's crazy, but, and you know. Let's see how, how the Klingons perceive it if, if I tell them that uh, I killed Captain Kirk and I act like I'm totally loony. And I thought that was kind of a fun uh, tactic. And, um, I mean, he, he gave orders pretty well, too. And he, you know, he didn't try to take advantage of it. Not that we thought he would. But it, but it was good the way he, hand, he, could, he could handle and talk to the other crew just like their people and knew what was appropriate uh, for them to do. I mean, I think it was it was actually handled pretty well. I mean, it was better than like than I thought he would do in command. You, you know, the episode, um, what was it, the Deadly Years, when that Commodore took over the Enterprise, and he had no idea what to do when the Romulans showed up. Yeah. So, so McCoy handled it a lot better than that. Yeah, he did. Um, and it'd be interesting if they had ever, you know, I, I don't recall uh, ever seeing an. I don't think there was an original series episode where McCoy was in command, even for like a short period of time. I, there might have been an episode where he maybe sat in the captain's chair briefly, like when Kirk stepped off the bridge. But but uh, yeah. it, would, it would have been neat to see a, an episode where he was in command for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, and I don't think there was the thing. The only thing I could compare it to would be like when Doctor Crusher was put in command. But, you know, but she actually ha- had command training. Yeah. and Well, and there was a Deanna Troy that was there an episode, but she also had had some command training, so. Yes, and since McCoy wasn't on that track, I mean, he, he, he was just used to commanding his own department that he was in charge of. So he did have leadership skills, of course, but it's just different sitting on the bridge. What do we think about how how the author handled, you know, not just McCoy being in command, but all of the other characters in this book? Well, I wasn't disappointed in that. I mean, Diane Duane is one of my favorite authors. She's a great Star Trek writer, and every book that I've read of her, she, you know, she really gets the characters, and and I thought she did in this one, too. Yeah, uh, Diane Duane is also one of my favorite writers, um, because, I mean, mostly I've always liked how she developed – the, the Vulcans and the Romulans in her other books. And um, it is interesting that she did have a one of her Romulan books, the Romulan Way, where she focused on McCoy a lot, when McCoy went to uh, Romulus. So I think, well, like, he is one of her favorite characters, right? Yeah, I was just going to say that when I started reading this book and I realized it was all about McCoy and that Diane Duane had written it, you know, and I've read the Romulan Way, which is... Uh, McCoy is the central character in that, I would say, um, at least more than Kirk and Spock. Then I was like, oh, I guess she must like McCoy. She's given him a lot of uh, time in her books. Yes, and so the the way um, I mean, I like how like how Spock represented be well being um, under McCoy's uh, command, and Spock handled handled it well too. I mean, he he didn't try to to be flip about it. Even though, I mean, he knew McCoy's experience, but because these two, I mean, even though they argue a lot, they still respect each other. So Spock still reflected the chain of command very well. Yeah, uh, as as we would expect, uh, you know, being being a Vulcan, um, and it was 
on that point, you know, it was a little bit of a plot device where, you know, Kirk leaves McCoy in command thinking it's just going to be, you know, him sitting there not really doing much as the plant, the ship orbits the planet. Um, you know, of course, he doesn't expect that he's going to go missing and that the Klingons are going to show up and that McCoy will be left in charge of all this. Um, but as a plot device, sort of when all the situation happens, McCoy, you know, he wants to hand over command to Spock since he's more experienced and he hasn't been in command before. And Spock says, oh, no, you know, you can't you can't do that. Starfleet uh, protocol is that only the person who, uh, you know, put you in charge can relieve you of charge. So, you know, I could be court-martialed, I think he says, if I, you know, uh, if I take over, which is, you know, kind of a little bit of a stretch. Um, <laughs> That's what but, I thought, too. <laughs> um, you know, you think Starfleet, uh, in, in this situation occurring with the Klingons, that Starfleet would want to the person to be in charge who, who has the most experience. Um, but, you know, I guess she had to figure out some way to keep McCoy in charge, so... Uh, I guess I could forgive her for that. <laughs> yeah, she wanted to write a book about McCoy being in charge, and and I guess we are supposed to kind of, um, you know, like we're supposed to overlook that. Yeah, it was a plot device, but but just but just go with it because it was still a good a good story about about McCoy being in charge. Uh, uh, one of the things, like, like because you're reading the book, you know it's called Doctor's Orders, you know that McCoy is going to be put in command, but it actually took a while before they actually got to the part where Kirk left him in command. Yeah, and that was um, my major, uh, the, the reason that I wouldn't, like, highly rate this book, I mean, I, I think Diane Boyne's writing is excellent, and, you know, I love seeing McCoy in charge, but uh, for me, the the issue I had with the book was that it just, it, the pace was so slow that I just felt like I was forcing myself to, to keep going on. And, and the action really doesn't start to happen until pretty far into the book. Um, so it was quite a while before we even get to the point where McCoy is put in charge. Um, and then, uh, you know, once he is in charge, there's, you know, and we're dealing with the battle with the Klingons, then we have this, what to me felt like an extremely protracted battle scenes that just kept going on and on page after page. And I was like, Oh, I just like I had to force myself to finish. I think it would have worked out well on screen where you, you know, you're watching a battle happen. That's always exciting, but trying to read about it, at least for me, it just felt like it, it was too slow paced. And that, that's my only you know thing that I would fault with the book. I kind of, um, yeah, I agree with you. The battle scenes at the end, they, they did seem to go a little too long. Um, the, the rest of the book, the pacing, I, I didn't really mind. I mean, I mean, yeah, I was waiting for, okay, not, like, when does McCoy take command? I mean, I mean, yeah, there is that anticipation there, but I didn't, I didn't find that too bad. Um, I, I was actually enjoying it. All the, uh, the talk with the, uh, with, with the three alien races. And, and that was very interesting. That was something that was um, very original, I thought, that the, the three different races that were completely different on this planet. And now that I think about it, they never did explain, because they said, like, how could the planet have three races that evolved so differently? And they never did explain that in this book. No, they didn't. And, and I agree with you. I, I enjoyed the scenes where uh, it is Kirk on the planet, and there was a scene before that with McCoy on the planet um, talking to the aliens. And we have these three alien species uh, on this planet, which are the, um, well, one of them is spelled with a 
uh, semicolon at, which I'm just going to say is the at, but I think in the book they said it's pronounced like at. Yes. Um, <laughs> who are like these mysterious, uh, they sort of look like stone, but they, um, you know, they, they don't exist all in the same place at the same time. They have sort of the ability to be in different periods of time at, uh, you know, at once. And then we have the, uh, the orne, orne, um, who are these, uh, I don't know how you describe them. They seem like happy. They kind of reminded me of Smurfs, even though they're not blue or, or else or anything, but they just seem like this happy little, uh, and they're kind of like translucent. Um, and those were the ones that, that they could talk with the most. And then there was the Lahit. I don't know how I'm pronouncing any of these correctly. Um, who were the, the kind of reminded me of Ents from Lord of the Rings, these tree-like um, beings. Yes. And then they were all really original. So I, I especially enjoyed when, when Captain Kirk and uh, McCoy interact with the aliens and, and Captain Kirk and is talking with the, um, the one at who he, he, names the master. Um, and that was really interesting sort of learning about these aliens. I did read that, that she created these, these aliens for a Star Trek game, but before she wrote this book, so she was, you know, reusing something, but, but that it's still, it's still interesting though, to read about these and yeah, the pronunciations. Um, I mean, I kind of like that it's, you know, it's a book. And so she takes advantage of this, like, well, how do you pronounce it? And so when you're just reading it, so you, you don't really know. You don't get to hear someone say it unless you were doing the audible. I don't know if they made an audible of this. But, um, but yeah, the at or the – I called them the at too. But, it, yeah, it must be something – some little click and then at. And the, um, the orne, I sort of pictured them being like little bags filled with water that just sort of roll around. <laughs> That's kind of how I pictured them. Um, and, and yeah, and I think they're kind of cute because their dialogue seemed to be kind of cute and childlike. And, um, so now this book actually came out in 1990. So it's when, you know, TNG was fairly new because the next generation started in 87. Deep Space Nine had not come on yet, but, but I kind of think that the at reminded me of the wormhole aliens on Deep Space Nine. Did you get that? It, yes, they did. Yeah. You know, and I didn't even think about that until you said it now. Um, I mean, they they differed from the wormhole aliens in that the wormhole aliens always presented themselves to Cisco or whoever was seeing them as people that Cisco knew. You know. Yes. And, and the at or the uh, the at did not do that to Kirk. They were just there as themselves. But they did sort of they, they existed in a universe or realm that's so different from what we live in that whatever they said really didn't make sense and it was like trying you know listening to them or talking with them was kind of like talking to a riddle like you really couldn't understand what they meant yes the the um and and there was a lot in the book about language because they were trying to to configure the universal translator to to interpret the language of all three of these aliens and and so they did say about the at they you know about using the tenses and and maybe we were not translating that correctly. It, it almost seems like this could have been more of a Uhura book too, because they talked so much about translating the the language. Yeah, they did, and I actually thought that that it would be a good uh, story with Uhura trying to 
uh, help with the language. And she did have some, there were some parts in here where she, you know, uh, was in here working with her universal translator, her and some of the other uh, crew members who were, I guess, communications crew members. Yeah, she was, she was there. It's just, she didn't really get as much use. Um, I, I think the person we didn't see as much of in this book was Scotty. He made like, he just had a few lines from engineering I mean, he was the main character that was used the least in this. Yeah, I he, guess was, you, he was barely in it. You have to focus on someone, though. Um, and, and I have to say, I do like the, like, you know, at the beginning with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, all of their, their banter was really good. I mean, I think uh, Diane Duane does good at handling character moments and having them all act as they should, as, you know, perfectly in character for them. Yeah, she does. Uh, that's one of her strengths. I think she does, always does a really good job with the characters. And she included some of the characters in this book that uh, some familiar characters that people who uh, read the novels would know, um, although they, these were not uh, TV characters. So like the um, Harb Tanzer, the guy who runs the rec room, you know, he's a frequently appearing character in the novels. And uh, security tr- chief Ingrid Thompson is in there as well. I did notice that, yeah, she because she likes to reuse those characters. Um, and, but the thing is, so I read that she was really not allowed to like to, to use any characters that were just created from the novels. I mean, she was able. I think she just she was able to sneak in a few things because the people that were editing just didn't notice. But you know, like Harp Tanzer didn't really have a line; he was just mentioned in at one time, which is interesting. But I mean, like, like, but she didn't use um, Narat, you know, the uh, the the Horta that she likes to use in her books. Oh, so you read that they said for this book she couldn't reuse any of those characters, huh? Yeah, well, well, not just her, but I mean, it was at a time period when when none of the uh, Star Trek novelists were were allowed to do that. They finally, you know, lifted that at some point. But but yeah, I think that's the reason she didn't use Narat because it would that would have been too obvious that she's using one of her characters. Oh, I did not realize that. It's interesting to know that. So, um, and then other highlights or anything else? Um, no, I mean, I just think for me the highlight was probably just uh, the, the the conversation that uh, Kirk was having with um, the, um, the at. And then also there was a scene where the Klingons have a conversation with the at. And it, so it was kind of... It, in a way, like, just like you said, with the wormhole aliens, when you watch those episodes and you're like, well, what do they really mean? What are they trying to say? Um, so it makes you want to figure it out. And then one thing that I really enjoyed about, you know, this happening with the Klingons is, you know, they, the Enterprise wants to know, why did the Klingons show up here? Like, what is in it for them? Are they, do they want to, um, you know, is there some valuable resource on this planet? And they, they couldn't really find a valuable resource and didn't really understand why the Klingons were so interested in this particular planet. And it turns out that uh, there's some sort of plant growing there that uh, they use in a condiment, I guess, like the way that, uh, you know, the Cardassians have their um, Yarmuk sauce. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, so that kind of made me laugh that uh, the whole big deal was just so they could get down to the planet and harvest some of this plant to make their condiment. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. And, and also because, because the whole tone of the book does sound like it's kind of meant for younger audiences. I mean, it, which which does not take away from the enjoyment at all. But 
but it is kind of you know they they did kind of make it um you know you know a younger not as a mature book so so yeah so you have the little like the what the thing the klingons were after was not really as much um pertaining to battle or weapons or anything it was just it it was it was a food yeah <laughs> and um and the the Orions were in this too, and and uh, I mean I at least like that that they had something they had something going on where they so that the Klingons and the and the Enterprise actually had to work together to defeat the Orions, which was a neat little twist too. Yeah, it was a neat twist to see McCoy, who had up until that point uh, kind of been pretending to be crazy to the to the Klingon captain. Um, you know, and then having to work with him so to, to so that they could escape the Orions together. Yeah, a lot of these books like to use the, the Orions um, for, the, for the villains, which is good because they haven't been used as much, except maybe on Enterprise. So it, it was nice to see them again. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a very, this story felt to me very much like it could be uh, an original series episode. You know, you have the Klingons, the Orions, you have a planet with some very interesting aliens. Um, so it all had that feel of original series to me. No, no, there was one little sentence where they said that the Klingons had bumpy foreheads. So, so they're trying to imply it's more like the, you know, like starting with the, with the motion picture Klingons and Ford, even though I think it would have taken place during the original five-year mission before we saw those type of Klingons. But that was one line in the book that I noticed. I did not notice that line. So I'm surprised I missed it, but good catch. <laughs> um, and I, you know, just have to mention there, were, there was a female Klingon who was who was in charge of her group. She wasn't in command of the ship, but she was in charge of the group that went down to the planet. And I think that is just something that Diane Duane, as a female writer, had to put in, which I liked having a a female in command. You know, a Klingon because. Um, we, we don't see that as much as the Klingons, with the Klingons. No, um, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Klingon landing party, the head of the Klingon landing party was a woman. Um, and in the original series, we didn't really, did we even see, I don't think we saw any female Klingons in charge at all. Um, and even in the next generation, um, it wasn't, you know, it was more men, although I think there were some women then. So, yeah, you could. Yeah, it's very male-dominated, yeah, except for, you know, like the Doros sisters um, who just sort of usurped control. Yeah, because there's a whole, you remember the whole episode on Deep Space Nine where uh, Quark uh, has to, you know, he marries a Klingon woman um, to help her maintain control of her house because they want to take the house away from her because she's a woman. So even at that point in the future, you know, Klingon women are still, uh, you know, still don't have equality with the men so yeah it was uh, uh good that to see that diane duane had had put this uh female klingon in charge she was an interesting character yes she was and she had her her whole story in in there too as well which was great so anything else um overall thoughts about the book um well my overall thoughts are i'd say i think on Goodreads, I gave this three out of five stars. I thought it was a good book. Um, I don't think Diane Duane, I've never read any book of hers that I don't, you know, I think she's incapable of being a bad writer. Her writing is always good. But um, I, I kind of judge books on do they motivate me enough that I want to just sit down and read them straight through. 
And this one really was one that I, just the slow pacing um, and the uh, really long battle scene that just kept going on and on forever. And, you know, descriptions of the ship turning this way and that way. And I just, I really had a hard time getting through it. So I wouldn't say that it's up there with my favorites. Um, but a good book to read if you're a fan of Dr. McCoy um, or just an original series fan and, you know, that these you like to read books that can be an episode, that it feels like just like an episode of the show. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. I mean, well, I'm a, I might give it a higher rating, maybe four out of five stars. Um, I, I enjoyed it. And, and yeah, the, the part at the end with the about the battle with the ships was kind of slow. I guess she's not as good at writing uh, those kind of scenes. But the whole thing was... Um, I thought it was it was a good story. It, it was very original with with the aliens that she came up with, and the way she handled uh, McCoy being in command, and the way he uh, talked to the Klingons. I mean, I mean, all of that re- really made it a fun read. And and so if you're you're really familiar with it and want to read a an original series novel, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a good one. I think. Maybe it's a, it's a little simplistic. So th- this and this one is one like you could just sit down and read in a day, and it's just you know its own story. It's not like the ones that are later on that are connected to so many other things. But overall, it was good. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, some people really like. I, I don't want to even say that Diane Duane didn't write those scenes as well. They, she probably did write them well. Maybe that's just not like what I like to read when I read Star Trek novels. Um, just battle scenes to me just aren't. I, that's just not my thing. But some people really like that. Um, so if, if that's something someone enjoys, then it's probably a good book to read for them, too. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long and may the force be with you. Nanu, nanu.